Well, good morning, Trinity Church. How are we doing? Having a good day? Finally, it's warm outside. Isn't that awesome? I love it. It's like, I love it. I do. I do. Hey, um, my name is Hilke. Hilke, I'm one of the pastors here. It's my true privilege to share from God's Word with you this morning. We are wrapping up our series called Real Mature, and um, it's all about what does it look like to be a mature, or rather a maturing follower of Jesus. We started four weeks ago uh, where, where Todd laid out the idea of followership, because it really boils, boils down to to be a disciple is to be a follower, and a disciple of Jesus is a follower of Jesus, living under his um, directives and control. Um, at the same time, so there, there's an active component and a passive component where we engage and, and he engages us. Uh, that, then we follow that up with, uh, what does it look like to be directed by the Holy Spirit? Because we believe that when we turn to Christ, the Holy Spirit resides in us. His indwelling presence. It is powerful. It is living. And it steers us. It guides us and encourages us in our walk with Christ. And then last, uh, last Sunday, Bill uh, laid out spiritual rhythms. And these rhythms we, we engage uh, because we truly believe that the nature of this followership is relational. And we ga- engage these spiritual r- rhythms to engage in relationship with our Creator, with Christ, through these spiritual rhythms of, of, of prayer, uh, the Word, and then, and, and then he laid out several others. But then my next follow-up question is this, to what end? So we engage spiritual disciplines. We're committed to following Jesus. We're committed to living and walking by the Spirit. To what end? And I believe that the end is actually very clear. We're going to spell that out this morning. um, That we very much believe that, that we have been rooted in order to reach that we are rooted in Jesus so that we can be reaching those in our relational world. We can put it into practice. Imagine being trained in search and rescue. You spend all this time uh, getting maybe certifications, going to classes, doing exercises, doing drills, and then you, get the, you, you, you join the team, you get the phone call, hey, we need you, uh, we're, we're on call right now, we, we got to go. Oh, man, I am so sorry, but I'm just a little bit busy right now, no can do. And then they call you again, hey, it's time to go, let's go, get your, get your butt over here. Oh, I am so sorry. I, I was actually, I had some plans this afternoon. Can't do it. What if, you, what if you were trained for rescue, yet never rescued anyone? Wouldn't that be a huge disconnect? On the flip side, what if you were a trained rescuer, and you had the privilege of rescuing those who were lost, 
rescuing those, those who were deeply in, in danger, pulling them out to safety, to be reunited with their families. That would be amazing. I want to tell you about a rescue uh, that, that most of you will remember. Last summer, there was a, um, a boys' soccer team in Thailand. A group of about 13, 12 boys and a coach. And after their afternoon practice, they um, wanted to explore some nearby caves. So they entered this cave structure and began to explore and, and kind of, it was kind of a cool thing. Uh, it was, they really were pretty pumped to do this. But then it started raining. Not just like our rain, although that's, that's intense enough for me, I hate the rain. But we're talking like monsoon rain, like it is dumping buckets of water. It wasn't long before they realized that they were stuck. The passageway where they came from was completely flooded. They came prepared with uh, flashlights, extra batteries, a rope, but that is it. No food, no you know, extra clothes or blankets. So the coach tied the rope around his body and gave instructions to the boys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and swim through. If you feel me tugging the rope twice, that means I need you to pull me back. I can't make it. So he dove in, started trying to make his way back to the exit. But it wasn't long before he had to pull that rope twice, alerting those boys, pull me back. And he was you know, pulled back immediately. Quickly, the minutes turned to hours. Hours turned to days. Days turned into a week. No food. They were trying to just get some of the drips of water from the stalactites. But after 10 days, they heard some splashing of water. And they looked, and two divers emerged. And they said, we've... We've come to rescue you. We've been looking for you. We're going to get you out. Those words were incredibly good news. But I don't think anyone realized how difficult this operation, these next few days would be. How were they going to get these boys out? They developed all kinds of plans. Several options were on the table. One of the options actually was a, was, was a front runner was to um, basically keep the boys you know, fed and nourished and safe and basically wait out the monsoon season. That was the best option. They talked about digging an alternate passage. But then on July 6th, one of the rescue divers, a Thai diver, died. While trying to get to the boys, he ran out of oxygen. It would take divers five hours to make the track back and forth. That's just one way. This was a huge ordeal, and, and there was this, this, someone sacrificed their life. There were thousands of people, literally thousands of people were involved in this rescue mission. 
from around the world, people flying in from all over the, all over the globe to find a way to rescue these, these, these 13 people. Incredible commitment and, and team cooperation, just endless resources were devoted to this mission. Then it was decided on, a plan was decided on. Two divers would be assigned to each boy, each person, and they would carry them on stretchers. It was still going to be extremely dangerous. The currents were very, very strong in, the, in all those passageways. So the, 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 um, the kids would wear you know, full face masks and have oxygen tanks that the divers would hold for them. When they would get to some of these extremely narrow passages, they would just simply pass the stretcher through to another set of divers that would take it the rest of the way. And then on July 7th, the first four boys were rescued. July 8th, the next four were rescued. On July 9th, finally, the last four boys and their coach were rescued and they were safe. Imagine being one of those rescuers. I mean, that's got to feel pretty good. Imagine being one of those boys. All of a sudden, all your fears just kind of dissipate. I'm safe. Imagine being one of those parents. Wow. What an incredible experience that must have been. Well, this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been rescued to be a rescuer. And that's why we believe as our now what statement says on your, on your notes this morning, that you are called to live on mission in your relational world and you will experience the life-giving power and presence of Christ. If we would live on mission in our relational world, you will experience the life-giving power and presence of Christ. What does living on mission mean? We talked about, you know, uh, you know engaging our relational world, living on mission, or embracing a kingdom mission. What is that all talking about? So I want to uh, share this definition with you. What does living on mission mean? Missional living is the active practice of living an intentional life. I really love that. That aims to bring the aroma of Jesus Christ into the places where we live, work, play, and worship. This is, this is just taking an idea out of 2 Corinthians and, and kind of running with it, that we would bring the aroma of Jesus into the places we work, into the places we go to school, into our neighborhoods, into our own families, into, the, in, into our soccer fields, that we would bring the aroma of Jesus, the influence of Jesus, that we would be Jesus influencers wherever we find ourselves that we would engage his mission wherever we find ourselves. So I want to I want to talk about five important truths that we'll we'll search the, throughout the scriptures that I think will help bring clarity to the mission. I think it will um, 
hopefully help you understand the, the urgency of the mission and just the heart behind the mission. And it hopefully will encourage you in your own personal mission. So let's dive in. The first one, Christ modeled living on mission. Christ modeled living on mission. Matthew 4.19 is kind of an interesting passage to put up uh, related to this, but it makes sense, and I'll explain. He says, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to be fish." To be fish, I, didn't, I don't see that there. Out, <laughs> and I will send you out to fish for people. Okay, I didn't just call you a bunch of fish. Um, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. He's talking to his disciples. And from here on out, the rest of Jesus' earthly ministry He's going to model for his disciples what it looks like to live on mission. So it's not long after this that Jesus encounters a leper, an untouchable. But Jesus engages the untouchables, and he brings healing. He brings hope. It's not long after this that Jesus brings healing to a centurion's servant, a Roman military official. They were hated. They were, they were the occupiers. But Jesus did not let that stand in the way of him engaging a Roman centurion in mission. He encountered a woman who is getting water at a well in the middle of the day. And the only reason she would do that, she was an immoral woman, shameful. But Jesus didn't let those stigmas keep him from engaging her in relationship and leading her towards the truth of the gospel, the good news. He broke through um, the, the racial barriers that were represented there. She was a Samaritan woman. She was a woman. He did not let gender barriers stay in the way for the sake of the mission. He encountered a religious leader, Nicodemus. He encountered him at night. We may call him Nick at night. And <laughs> Jesus didn't talk to Nick and say, Nick, you're supposed to know the answers, dude. You're a religious leader. But no, he meets Nicodemus where he's at. And he lovingly draws him to himself. He encountered tax collectors. These guys were scoundrels. And then he had parties with them. Even moments 
minutes, hours, before Jesus would take his final breath. As he was crucified, surrounded by two criminals, right? And the one joined the mockery of the crowds, jeering, making fun. But what the other other criminal, criminal responded very differently. He said, Jesus, will you remember me? And what did Jesus say? You bet I will. Since Matthew 4.19, Jesus consistently modeled for his disciples what it would look like to engage people on this mission, to live on mission wherever you find themselves. The second thing is that Jesus taught about living on mission. Jesus taught living on mission. In the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we we encounter a lot of of Jesus' teachings. And on multiple occasions, he would teach his disciples about what it means to live on mission. When he encountered Zacchaeus, one of those tax collectors, a scoundrel, a cheat, a fraud, he went and hung out with them. He engaged them in relationship. They had some dinner together, and the people didn't like it. How could Jesus, how could Jesus hang out with a guy like Zacchaeus? And Jesus just turns around, and he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And he says, Don't you guys get it? I'm all about the lost. Matthew 9.12, a very similar story. Another one of those scoundrels, another one of those tax collectors. He's eating dinner with them because this tax collector has, has just met Jesus and experienced transformation, and then they're having a party, and there's other tax collectors there, another bunch of, you know, probably sinner people. And then he says these words, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And isn't that the truth? Because I think there's even application there for us even this morning. If this church is going to be a church on mission, let me throw this out to you. We, we, we need to refuse to be a museum where saints are on display. But we are a hospital for the broken. We are a lighthouse for those who are lost. Because that reflects the heart of God. Because it is not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick, it's the broken. Luke 15 captures some of Jesus' most extended teaching on living on mission. And he starts out talking about a shepherd. These are parables, three parables that he throws out there. And they're just powerful stories. And he, he, he says, um, that there's, I, I'm the good shepherd and, and I've got a hundred sheep. But one of them, when the one gets lost, what does the good shepherd do? 
He leaves the 99 because they're, they're, they're good. They're cared for. They're safe. And he doesn't just say, well, 99%, that's not too bad. That's an A+. Why does he go after that one sheep? Because the good shepherd loves that one sheep that's lost. He's willing to leave the 99 and just chase after that lost sheep, and he will be relentless in his search until he finds that sheep. The next parable is, is a parable of, of, of a poor woman that has 10 coins, very valuable coins, and one of them is lost. This represents a lot of money. She turns the house upside down, looking for this coin, kind of like when I look for my keys. Um, actually, it was my wife that was looking for her keys this morning. Um, but um, why is she on this relentless search? Because it's valuable. And Jesus tells this story to illustrate, to highlight that the lost are valuable. Do you believe that? So you see that Jesus loves the lost. The lost are valuable. And then the third story is, is, is the parable of, of the prodigal son coming home to the father. I don't have time to really um, explain the story. But what do we see as the, as the prodigal returns home? What do we see? Do we see a father just kind of standing there, arms crossed, stern, See what this kid has to say. We're going to talk about this soon. He's not like that. He does something crazy. He probably like hikes up his tunic. I've never worn a tunic, but uh, and he just starts running and just runs towards his son, arm, arms wide open, and he welcomes that son and that. That was just completely unacceptable behavior. A father wouldn't run to his loser son in that culture. But God the Father doesn't care. He cares about that son. And he will run towards him. He will welcome him back. He will celebrate his return and extravagantly love his lost son that has returned. These are some very clear teachings where Jesus just lays out his heart for the lost as he's consi consistently modeled that, taught it. And number three, Christ commanded living on mission. Christ commands living on mission. And we encounter this in the Great Commission. If you're not familiar with the Great Commission, it, it, is, it is Jesus' directive to his disciples, to his church. This is his, his, his marching orders for us, even today. 
And it says this, starting in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These words are huge. A command very clearly spelled out. What is the command? Make disciples. Make disciples. What do I need you to do? I need you to make disciples. The go part is actually not a command. It's a participle. It's a present participle. And it's actually very helpful to understand this because the the, the thought, the the feel there is, is as you go, make disciples. As you Live your life. As you do whatever you do, make disciples. As you go to work, do what? Make disciples. As you go to school, do what? Make disciples. As you go to the soccer field and watch a bunch of, you know, seven-year-olds play soccer and fall all over each other, what do you do? Make disciples. If, as you go to the mechanic and drop off your car, Make disciples, be on mission. When you go to the grocery store, be on mission in your neighborhood. Be on mission and make disciples. There's no qualifiers here. This is not a command just for extroverts. You know, if you like to talk a lot, please do this. No. This is not a command for pastors or not just for pastors. Like, isn't that why we pay you? Um, No. This is not just a command if you're really into like apologetics and defending the faith. This is a command for everyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ. No exceptions. But I bet some of you are thinking right now, but I'm scared. I don't know what to do. I'm intimidated by this whole living on mission thing. I want you to pay very close attention to these next two points. And after we've talked about these next two points, I want you to evaluate and see if you're still scared, see if you're still intimidated, or if you're willing to give this a shot to live on mission. Look at the fourth point. Christ promises his presence while living on mission. Christ promises his presence while living on mission. This is really cool. Um, Look at verse 20 of the Great Commission. So Matthew 28, verse 20. And there's something really special at the end of that verse there, an amazing promise. And it says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now that's pretty cool. So Christ is commanding us to go and make disciples, but then he backs it up with an amazing promise, I will be with you. I will be with you always. Do you believe that? Do you trust his word? Because Christ is saying, live on mission and I will be with you. 
don't worry about the details. I've got the details, he's saying. But there's another promise. It's a cool one, too. It's point five. Christ promises his power to live on mission. Very familiar verse here. Acts 1.8. It says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's pretty cool. That Jesus is promising his power to live on mission. This tells me that I don't have to worry about having all the right words. Am I going to say it right? I don't have to worry so much about, man, if, if, I, if I engage them in, 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 in mission and, and um, what if they reject? I can trust that, that God is in it. His power is working. His presence is with me. So how do we live this out? So I want to close by just throwing out a couple of just, just practical guiding principles as we live on mission together. The first one being is be prayerful. Be prayerful. People aren't evangelism projects. I hope you, you, you caught that from Jesus' teaching that we looked at. People aren't projects. People are deeply loved and valued by God. But people are also very much lost. People are broken. People are spiritually in the dark. You think you're just going to walk into that situation and kind of do your thing and, and people will probably be okay? No. This is a spiritual battle for the souls of people, right? And we better be praying for, the, for our loved ones, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, that the Spirit of God would be working in their hearts, illuminating their eyes, that the Spirit of God would be working in you, that you would be paying attention to opportunities that come your way. A lot of times what I pray, or part of my prayer, is even just a simple, God, I just pray, I, I really want to um, engage with my friend here, um, but please, like, would you just not make it awkward? Because I don't want it to be awkward. And he's answered that prayer every time, where it's, it's natural, it's organic, because I've invested relationally with my, with my friends. They're asking me questions unprompted. My wife was going to work. Before she got out of the car in, in the parking lot, she just prayed. Um, God, I, I would just, you know, love to invite Paul and Bob to church. Would you provide a way? Got out of the car. Went into work. Not two minutes later, Bob comes in. So when are you going to invite me to your church? 
Have you prayed those prayers? If you're not praying the prayers, how can he answer them? Do people, people, do people even know you go to church to even be able to ask you, can I go to your church because my life sucks and I need help? What'd you do this weekend? Oh, I just played some golf. Anything else? No, not really. Really? You came and worshipped the living God this morning and all you did was play golf this weekend. People, this is a spiritual battle we are fighting. And I believe that if we would pray for our friends, our neighbors, God will answer those prayers. Next thing, be expectant. Be expectant. I was, I was talking to, to some of our pastors and, and like who, who at, 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 in our church is doing this well um, and Mark Brandenburg, he's part of our congregation for a long time. So I called him up. I said, Mark, what does it look like for you to live on mission? Guys, wherever Mark goes, he talks to people. Every week he fills out prayer requests for the people he meets by name. When, he was, when I called him this week, he wasn't talking about stories from three months ago, four months ago. No, like yesterday I ran into Joe and, and we, we got talking in conversation. And I said, so what is, how would you capture this living on mission stuff? And he says, I just expect God to move. I pray in the morning, God, just allow me to run into people that, that you want me to engage with. And he always does. He's answering those prayers. And Mark's being expectant of that. He expects God to move. Next one, be intentional. Be intentional. I called uh, Stan Shue this week too. I said, Stan, what does it look like for you to live on mission? And I also asked him, Stan, do you feel like you have this special gift of evangelism? What do you think he said? No, I don't. He says, I, I just live on mission. I, I, just, I just live, I just try to be the aroma of Christ, to borrow that language. So when Stan goes to work, and he's a doctor, he's able to meet people in their place of brokenness, in their fears, so he prays with them. He encourages them. He shares God's love with them. Oh, there you are. Um, at the end of the day, he just asks himself, you know, what would Jesus do as a doctor in this situation? What would Jesus do as an accountant in, in your office? How would he interact with, with and interface with the different people that, that come along your way as a teacher, as a student? What would it look like to be intentional at my job, in my neighborhood? So Stan um, even shared with me that even at the end of the day, sometimes it just kind of bugged that he missed an opportunity. 
like, oh, I should have jumped in there. that, That was a door. When's the last time I reflected on my day and said, oh, I really should have you know, shared the gospel here. I love that. I was uh, waking up this morning and just kind of scrolling through uh, Instagram as I was eating my Greek yogurt. Um, and then I, I came across this, this, uh, this video, this little post um, by a guy named Paul Tripp. I really like him. He's a wise guy. Um, and he talked about living on mission. It was actually really cool. And he says the one of the number one barriers to us living on mission is because we're so crazy busy. And he says, uh, that he said, our, our values have all been scrambled. And we're chasing after things that, 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 that seem so appealing, and they're not bad things. It's just that God has a greater thing for us. He's inviting us to live on mission, to be willing to sacrifice, to be willing to reorient our schedules. The next one is be patient. Be patient. And this one's been a good reminder for me. As I've invited um, some friends to, 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 to church and they've, they were coming they were really connected or, you know, enjoying it and valued that. And, and then they stopped. So excited when our neighbors were coming. And then they stopped. But does God love my friend? You bet. He loves the one sheep. Has, has God stopped searching? No way, because he's valuable. So I won't either. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep investing in that relationship. And the next one is this. Be a good teammate. And uh, what that means is maybe you didn't, you didn't bring a, a, a neighbor to church, and, but someone else did. What does it look like to, to partner well? to be hospitable, to be inviting, to be the fragrance of Christ in this room. You know who does that really well? It's my friend Anthony. High school student that just has a knack for for partnering with his other friends who are bringing friends to church. On a number of occasions, his friend Chloe has brought friends to church. And he's being able to just come in there naturally and, and engage them in conversation, build a relationship, and be the fragrance of Christ in our high school ministry. But I also believe that the best partners are those that are actually engaging the mission themselves which is exactly true for Anthony also. Because I know that he's been um, praying for some of his friends who's, who he's been praying for since middle school, maybe even before. Um, and they, they've, they've popped in periodically, and we love that. So be good partners to one another, but you'll be the best partner by engaging the mission.
because you begin to get it. So live, live on mission in your relational world and you will experience the life-giving power and presence of Christ. Do you believe that? I do. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. And um, Father, we thank you that you chased after us. We were that lost sheep. And you saved us. You rescued us. And now you're launching us to be on mission. We've been rooted to reach. Father, I pray that you would put in our hearts, in our minds, a grand vision of, of carrying out and being faithful ambassadors, rescuers. Lord, help us to be intentional, to, 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 to be faithful in prayer, to be patient. But Lord, just help us just to step back and just expectantly just wait for you to just blow us away as you work through your Holy Spirit in and through us, Lord. Do your work and allow us just to be faithful in the midst of it. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.